Business models are a key part of the strategy of learning businesses. And thinking through who you charge or might charge, what you charge for, how much you charge, and who you might share cost or profits with is a powerful exercise. I'm Salisa Steele. I'm Jeff Cobb, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Business models are a key part of the strategy of any business, but in our experience, learning businesses often don't devote enough thought to business models. Learning businesses can take a set-it-and-forget-it approach to their business model, but in this episode, number 371, we want to make the argument for revisiting your business model periodically. Looking at what products and services to create, to revise, or to sunset is a valuable and essential exercise for learning businesses, and we want to add business models to the list of things that would benefit from regular revisiting. And while we think that many learning businesses probably aren't giving business models enough mental space, we will acknowledge that we're seeing and hearing signs that at least some learning businesses are thinking about business models more. Uh, for example, we're seeing growing interest in and discussion of subscription models. That'd be one sign of, of, of proof that business models are on people's minds. And we've talked about things like, you know, adding coaching to programs and, and other types of variations in uh, how you're uh, monetizing the value that you offer to your audiences. So there are little signs here and there, but I think a much more focused discussion of business models is still very much in order. And as we frequently do when we discuss something like business models, I feel like a definition is a good place to start. And at its heart, a business model is simply how a business makes money. It is the monetization strategy that goes with whatever products and services a business has to offer. That's right. How do you translate that value that you are providing into actual income, into actual dollars in the bank that you're able to pay people with and continue investing in your money. And of course, we talk all the time about reach, revenue, and impact. Business model is, well, it, it, it plays into all of those, but obviously it's central to the revenue part of that triad. And you're unlikely to come up with a completely novel idea for a business model, but I will say, I don't think that's bad news. Um, we think there's still room for incremental innovation and maybe some experimentation, this innovation at the edges that we have mentioned before. Yeah, definitely. There's no need to reinvent the wheel here uh, in most instances. Um, so, you know, that means that it can really be worthwhile paying attention to what other businesses are doing and specifically what other learning businesses are doing to learn from them. And, you know, while it's usually not the case that you can just take somebody else's business model lock, stock, and barrel, you can pretty heavily borrow the, the elements of uh, other businesses' uh, business models and make them part of what you're trying to do to, to monetize. And so we, what we would like to do specifically in this episode is take a look at business models and drawing specifically on the examples that we are seeing big learning providers offer to the market. Now, what do we mean when we say big learning? I'm thinking of companies like Coursera and edX and Udemy. Uh, Khan Academy, LinkedIn Learning, the, the great courses, Masterclass. I mean, the fact is, 
learning is big business now, mostly because of what you know technology has, has made possible. So many types of organizations have gotten into the learning business, and that's meant a lot of focus on what business models actually work. And so... One reason we think looking at big learning providers can be helpful is a, kind of a twofold answer to to why I look to them. One is they're actually likely competitors. Um, whether or not you recognize them as competitors, they might not be direct competitors um, in terms of of subject matter or content, but learners today have a variety of needs and odds are that they are making use of one or more of these big learning providers in addition to whatever they might be doing with you. That's right. I mean, there's only so much mind space and time that people have for learning. So yeah, they're going to be looking to a, a lot of different sources and these big learning companies are going to be one of them. And I think uh, you mentioned two reasons. Another one would be that most of these big learning businesses are probably going to have quite a bit more pressure on them to get a business model right and to generate that revenue than probably is going to be felt by most of our listeners. Most of our listeners aren't, you know, venture capital funded. They don't have, you know, they, they may, they'll have a board of directors possibly sitting there breathing down their neck, but maybe not in quite the same way that these companies that, you know, have investors, have shareholders in, in the case of, you know, some of these big public companies. So a lot of pressure there to, to get things right. So a lot of rapid iteration in many instances to arrive at a working business model. And one other thing, after you know, defining business model, just meaning simply that it's the approach to monetizing what you do, um, and then talking about what we mean by big learning, because we're looking to them for examples of business models. The other thing we want to do up front before really digging in is acknowledge some sources that we have in the back of our mind. This is not the first time that we've talked about big learning on the podcast. It's not the first time that we've written about it. I guess this is oral, but we've also written about it. That's true. I think uh, we first wrote about big learning, I believe, in 2016. It's been quite a while since the original blog post we did, Learning from Big Learning 15 Lessons, which we will, of course, link to so you can see what those 15 lessons are. And then we did do a podcast episode around this as well. So we ourselves have been, you know, trying to to learn from big learning and write about it and talk about it for, for quite a while now. And then I also recently saw a, a blog post by WBT Systems around seven business model strategies to steal from for-profit online learning providers. So it sort of brought back to mind a lot of what we have thought about and written and talked about in the past. And we thought that it would be great to devote an episode to business models and what we might borrow from big learning. And just a, a shout out there to the uh, WBT systems for their blog content. They do consistently put out valuable content that we would recommend to, to listeners to tune into and, and make part of your own ongoing learning resources. And so in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 371, you'll find links to our blog post, our previous episode on uh, big learning, and also a link to WBT Systems post, which of course then will put you on their blog site and you can look at what else they have to offer. So we have offered a simple definition of business models. We like to offer definitions. We also tend to like to break things down into components uh, to talk about, which I think uh, this is uh, an appropriate thing to do with business models. And so what we want to talk about today are what we see as four key facets that are going to be part of any business model. So those are who you charge, 
what you charge for, how much you charge, and who you share costs or profits with. So those are the four facets that we want to talk about today. We're grateful to WBT Systems for sponsoring the Leading Learning Podcast. Top Class LMS provides the tools for you to become the preferred provider in your market, delivering value to learners at every stage of their working life. WBT Systems' award-winning learning system enables delivery of impactful continuing education, professional development, and certification programs. The Top Class LMS team supports learning businesses in using integrated learning technology to gain greater understanding of learners' needs and behaviors, to enhance engagement, to aid recruitment and retention, and to create and grow non-dues revenue streams. WBT Systems will work with you to truly understand your preferences, needs, and challenges to ensure that your experience with Top Class LMS is as easy and problem-free as possible. Visit leadinglearning.com slash topclass to learn how to generate value and growth for your learning business and to request a demo. And we'll say you can probably find other facets and you can get more nuanced about each of these facets that we're going to talk about, but uh, we're going to try to hit on some of the the high points in, in each of them. And with that first one, who you charge we're talking here really about your, your audience, you know, so who are you going out to with this business model to provide value and to, to monetize that value? And we're really going to break it into two, two camps for purposes of discussion today. And it's two camps that listeners will be familiar with. We talk about this quite a bit, and that's the business to business model sometimes referred to as institutional selling, depending on where you're coming from, and then the business to consumer model. So selling to organizations, selling to businesses, or selling to individuals. And I think our point here in its simplest terms is that if you currently are only B2C or only B2B, it might behoove you to think about also adding the other B2 to your business model there. We know a lot of learning businesses that focus on the individual learner and really making that case to her, come learn with me, come take this course. But there's a lot of power in also making organizational sales and potentially going out to the employer of that individual learner and saying, hey, we can help you solve uh, a training need in your organization and we can do that for all of your employees or all of your employees that fall in a particular uh, category. And there, there are trade-offs to, to each, and uh, that's why it could be good to be doing both in, in, uh, in your particular learning business. But, you know, the B2C model, you may find in, in that model that it's easier or just more natural to develop that, that tight engagement with the individual learner through your marketing and then with what you're offering. The B2B model, scaling your revenue more quickly can be a great advantage there. But of course, both of those things can be very advantageous to a learning business. So looking at both of them in terms of who you charge, who your audience is that your business model is serving. And if we go back to big learning, I mean, this is something that they are doing a lot of those initial MOOC providers, you know, the Coursera's, the edX, they really did focus on the individual learner initially, um, but they also have offerings now where they're really going after corporate clients and sort of saying, we can help you with your training needs and here's how. So they have, you know, specific messaging for the individual learner and different messaging than for that institutional 
sale. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Udemy is another one that's done that. We've talked about Udemy before on the podcast, had Shelly Osborne, who was with Udemy at the time here, and they were very focused on that individual learner initially, really kind of being that Amazon.com of uh, online courses, but just like Amazon also has a, a business-oriented uh, account and, and offering, Udemy started to to build out an offering to take into the, the corporate marketplace. And so they are now both B2C and B2B. So that's a quick look at the first key facet of any business model, who you charge. And so now let's look at the second key facet, what you charge for. And this in a nutshell is is the products and services that you charge for, you make available at a cost. But what we want to focus on are that there are some levers that you can play with that will help make your business model more or less successful. Right. And of course, this is a place where you can probably find many levers. We're going to focus in on some of the ones that uh, we think are most powerful um, and, and that need the, the, the most attention. And one of those is basically the, you know, the range from a, a one-off, one-time experience to an ongoing experience and how that can sort of alter your, your business model. And I know I just called them levers, but, uh, you know, we were talking prior to hitting record and we were thinking a little bit more of like the the mixing board on a, right. a sound uh, board. And you have the, again, we're back to ranges, we're back to spectrums. And so, yes, it's one off to ongoing, but there are ranges in between there. So clearly in the one off camp is something like an e-learning course that a learner gets access to for three months. They sign up, they go through that course and it's done. As we move towards the ongoing, you could have, um, again, some variation there, you know, a slightly more in-depth relationship might be a bundle where it's multiple courses. So it could be for a longer period of time and you could go through that first course experience that will lead into the, the next one. And so that's more of an ongoing relationship, but it's not as ongoing as, say, an annual subscription might be. Right. You know, so an annual subscription allows somebody to return again and again to what's in the the catalog that you offer, or maybe this is configured as a learning path that they're pursuing over some period of time. But in general, providing them with a way to not have that just one-time experience, but to continue to engage with you, continue to engage with the content, engage with the experience, which, of course, we know, um, because of what we know about learning science, can certainly be better for uh, really uh, achieving true, deep, effective learning. And we'll ha- we have a blog post uh, contributed by Jack Corson of the American Speech Language Hearing Association on the Leading Learning blog. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. But it's really the story of Asha's move to a subscription model. And one of the more interesting points that that I think Jack makes is this idea that subscription models are more ethical because, you know, once you really buy into this idea that learning is a process and not a one-off event, why would you sell anyone a one-off event when you know it's not likely to be that effective? And so this is a business model that then can align philosophically with an organization's mission. Yeah. And I think it's worth saying, you know, if you're, it's not just worth saying, it's, it's critical to say, I think that, you know, when you're in the learning business, your learning model and your business model should be in, a, in alignment. You should be looking at how, you know, learning aligns with, with business and everything you're doing. And, and certainly um, subscriptions, learning pathways, and we'll talk about some other approaches here in a minute that, that do align with 
more effective, deeper learning, and that also offer different business opportunities, different business model opportunities in terms of uh, how you're able to, to monetize. And I think, too, that there's the benefit from, for a learner to a subscription model where they have that ongoing resource. Um, they are able to revisit and reconnect with ideas and concepts. But it's also good for the learning business. You have greater predictability mm -hmm. around your revenue. And so that is beneficial and can give you then insight that might allow you to be like, okay, we actually can build this new product line out because we know we're going to be bringing in X this year based solely on subscriptions. And so there's a benefit to the learner. There's a benefit to the learning business to have more of those ongoing uh, recurring type uh, engagements with learners. Yeah. And to go back to the big learning, that's why a lot of them are very interested in being able to have these sorts of uh, subscription or membership um, type models, because that does lead to recurring revenue and Investors and shareholders love recurring revenue when it comes to looking at the, the valuation of a company. And so another uh, lever that you can play with when you're thinking about your products and services are supplemental or ancillary offerings. And so when I say that, I'm thinking about things like a certificate or a micro-credential or digital badge that might go along with completing some portion of uh, an online learning experience. Yeah, and this is something we've seen in spades with the the big learning providers. Um, with a lot of them, they started out and many still are at the point where to take a course, just to participate in the course content is free. You don't have to pay anything for that. But if you want the credential that goes with that course, a certificate, a badge, that sort of thing, you're going to have to pay to, to get that. And then another place where you could think of an offering as a, a supplement to maybe a course that you already have is coaching and is community. So community, maybe you're getting access to peers who are going through uh, the, the content at the same time that you are as a learner. With coaching, maybe you're getting more access to a subject matter expert who can help you think about how to apply what you're learning or answer your more specific questions about the content. And again, we're seeing both of those have an uptick and, and see more prevalence of those in general, but also with big learning where they're adding in some of these things where you have more of an access to other people. And that is a an additional offering that can help make the, the course more appealing. Right. And, and we've, you know, written and talked about community and coaching on the, the Leading Learning blog and, and podcast because they are important to learning, but they do provide these, you know, sort of increased value points for your learning offerings. Um, these factor into things like the value ramp, which I know we'll get to discussing here in a minute when we talk about how much you're charging for all of this. But these are ways to increase value and to basically, you know, attract the people who are going to really uh, value um, the, that level of, of, of learning experience. Um, so you're kind of differentiating. You've got, you know, um, some people who may not be willing to, to pay quite as much. You want the more basic offering. Maybe they want the free offering. But then you've got these opportunities to incrementally go up from there with these ancillary and, and supplemental offerings. And then another range that we want to talk about is uh, learning offerings that move from casual on one end to high stakes on the other. So on the casual end, it might just be, I'm curious about a topic, or it might be that I'm curious about a part of a topic. And I know 
back after MOOCs really sort of took off, there was then um, a debate around the abysmal completion rate mm-hmm. for MOOCs. And so there was this argument, well, you know, how good are they, you know, for learning if people aren't completing them? And I think that one of the arguments or explanations of that data that makes sense to me was that people weren't in it to complete it. (laughs) They went in and they were looking at what interested them or they needed some small part of that overall massive open online course. And once they got access to that, they were they were done. Yeah, and, and it's worth saying, you know, that um, we're kind of drawing distinctions between these different uh, levers or, you know, dials or, you know, h- however you want to think about mixing these different components. But, of course, there's a lot of overlap between them. They they all relate to value in one way or another. And, you know, for example, somebody who is interested in that more high stakes experience is probably interested in the credential that uh, is going to signify that experience and is likely to, to be somebody who's going to be interested in a learning pathway and staying involved with you over time. So you're kind of hitting, you know, all three of those dials in, in terms terms of uh, uh, what you're charging for in your offering and and probably at that point have a very high value uh, offering that's going to be attractive to that specific type of person who's interested in that that very high value offering. So we've talked about the first two facets, who who you charge and what you charge for the third facet we want to talk about is how much you charge. And it's a little hard to talk about the what you charge for, which we just talked about, without also beginning to get into the how much you charge, because they're very tightly aligned. I mean, we've talked a lot before about our belief that value and price are interlinked. And so if you want to be able to charge more, you need to provide more value. And that has to be value in the eyes of the purchaser. It can't just be that you think it's more valuable. It has to be something that they truly value. Yeah. And I mean, we've already been alluding to this, you know, as we were talking about what you're charging for, because like you said, you, you really, you can't fully separate them. They're just so intertwined. And, you know, we talk about um, things like the value ramp and the product value profile. And th- those are really all about how you're adding more value, whether it's through those ancillary offerings, whether it's through something that's higher stakes, uh, maybe higher touch, um, maybe it's through something that's you know extended over time. All of those are adjusting value. And as you said, value and price have a correspondence. So the price is, is going up with those. And they're, they're, they're giving you options in terms of your business model, you know, how you're able to generate what level of revenue from which audiences, which, with which versions of what you're offering. And we've talked and written a lot about pricing. So I will just make a, a, a note here to say that on the Leading Learning site, you can find a lot more specific information about pricing. We have a search on almost all pages of the Leading Learning site, and you can just type in pricing and take a look at some of those resources that we have if you're more specifically interested in some of the mechanics about how to price. But part of what we just wanted to focus on today gets to this idea of when you're thinking about a business model, again, you have a a range to deal with here. And the range of prices is going to ideally relate to something like the value ramp, where you're really trying to think about how does all that we offer tell a logical story and allow people to to easily come in. So you want free or low cost offerings, but then how do you increase value with other products and hopefully move people up that value ramp so that you're providing more value and they're paying you more for that value? 
Yeah, definitely. And it's we should mention here too, I mean, I don't know the extent to which it's truly a part of business model or not, be an interesting question. But, you know, we talk a lot about brand, you know, and, and the stronger your brand is, really, the more you're able to charge at any point along the sort of value ramp that we talk about, and the more quickly you're able to charge it. And and it's certainly true that, you know, when we go, to go back to big learning, most of the big learning companies, they, I mean, they've, they've invested in their brands, they've established brands out there, they are known quantities at this point, and it does uh, help to give them new options in terms of what they're able to, to do with their business models. I mean, if you're well-known as a B2C brand, for example, it's going to increase your uh, possibilities of then going to the B2B market and vice versa. You know, so just that simple example of brand. But keeping brand in mind as you're thinking about your business model and how your business model will help you build brand, how your business model might be dependent uh, upon brand and, and to what extent, I think is truly important. And I don't, I don't think it's 100% true, but most of those big learning providers make some level of content available for free. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, they have strong brands, but they are also really leveraging something like the value ramp where you can come in, you can sample it, you can hopefully see how high quality and effective it is, and then be willing to pony up some some dollars for a little bit more elaborate or a little bit more detailed experience with that provider. And so I think, although we're talking about business models and business models are about monetization, it's important to remember that free often plays a strategic role in how you price things. Yeah. And it's funny, I mean, a, a business model in, in a way is almost a process, just like we talk about learning being a process, because, you know, you're going to engage it with any given learner or prospective learner at any given point in time. But of course, you want to build that relationship over time. You want to continue to, even if it's for your one-off offerings, you want them to go through multiple one-off offerings. Um, but hopefully you're going to pull them in even deeper than that and become the source that they ask for. You know, they're, they're asking for you by name because they trust what you're delivering to them. And of course, that goes back to brand. If, if people are asking for your learning experiences by name, then you're in a very strong position with what you'll be able to do with your business model. And one reason that they might ask for you by name is if you have very distinctive mm -hmm. content, if, if it really is unique and it's not something that they can get from someone else, that's going to make you that much more appealing if you're offering the same type content that others are, well, then you become more of a commodity and it becomes much harder to charge very much for what you're offering. Yeah, definitely. It makes me think again of a company like Udemy, which um, like, I don't know how distinctive their content is, but they are distinctive because they have so much content. Mm -hmm. They cover everything. You know, they really can be that one-stop shop, you know, provide everything that a, that a business needs and, and, or an individual needs in terms of training. Most learning businesses are not going to be in a position to do that. So you've really got to look at what's truly distinctive in, in your catalog that, uh, that you can offer. And it might be a case where you point your learners to other options and don't worry about building content in a particular area. If it's not where you have true distinctive content or a distinctive point of view to add, it might be better off to point learners elsewhere for that piece of it and really focus on what you can deliver that is unique. Definitely. So we've talked about who you are going after with your, your business model, who you're going to charge, what you're charging for how much you are charging. And now we want to talk about a, a fourth aspect, which 
may not jump out at people as sort of an obvious area of business model, but really is, is often fundamental. And that's who you share your costs or profits with. And so the sort of the short answer to this would be partners. That's mm-hmm. who you might share costs or profits with. And partnership is an area where we think there's a lot of potential for learning businesses. If you can really think through this, uh, potential partners might be the employers. So, you know, who your learners work for, and this gets back to the B2B sales that we are talking about, but you may be able to partner with those corporate employers and really work with them on developing the content. And that could be, it could be around content development. It could be around content delivery. It could be around pre-selling to them so that then you actually have the, the funds to develop. We've also talked some about academic partnerships with, with learning businesses. That's another area where it could make sense to, to partner. And certainly with other learning businesses that uh, are, you know, non-competitive with you or maybe uh, um, co-opetition, I guess, is the, the term that usually gets uh, used there. Even at this point, you're own subject matter experts. And, you know, some cases it's going to be less about uh, are they going to volunteer for you or get paid by you to do this, but maybe how do you actually go into business with them in a meaningful way? But, uh, you know, the, the core behind this is that Often when organizations are thinking about their business model, they're just thinking about their own organization and what they can do as a learning business out there. But, you know, just a little bit of a pivot to think, what if I, are we actually partnered with, you know, this other business, with this other organization, with the employers that uh, we're serving or with the subject matter experts we're working with, that could open up some significant new possibilities with our business models. And so then it can get into licensing arrangements or revenue sharing, or I already mentioned pre-selling. So you begin to get into kind of much more mechanical aspects of, of how the money flows in those situations. But at the core, it's about partnership and who it might make sense to work with. And I think that may be may need to be the the topic for a future podcast to really talk about partnerships and how to consider, you know, what you're looking for in partners. Are they going to open up, you know, new audiences? for you? Uh, are they going to give you access to, to content uh, that you wouldn't have otherwise or to opportunities for extending your content, maybe providing some of those ancillary, ancillary if, I, if I'm saying that uh, I say ancillary. Ancillary. <laughs> uh, they provide some of those you know, extra op- opportunities that can go with your learning experiences. But there are a number of ways in which partners can provide um, value within the, the, the business models that, um, that you could potentially be pursuing. Business models are a key part of the strategy of learning businesses. And thinking through who you charge or might charge, what you charge for, how much you charge, and who you might share cost or profits with is a powerful exercise. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 371, you'll find show notes, a full transcript, and other resources, including options for subscribing to the podcast if you're not already subscribed. And we'd be grateful if you would take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, especially if you enjoy the show. Salisa and I personally appreciate reviews and ratings, and they help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. And please spread the word about leading learning. You can do that in a one-on-one note or conversation with a colleague, or you can do it through social media. 
In the show notes at leadinglearning.com slash episode 371, you'll find links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast. Mm-hmm.